You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. Amen. Thank you. It's a joy to be here, and to the people I've come to love here, it's been great, and we've really been blessed at this church and what God has done in and through you guys in our lives. It's been wonderful. I don't know how many of you were able to um, to look at the uh, hymn that uh, Brother Tyson sent this morning, um, and I saw it just about as soon as it came out, my notification, I had happened to look at it, and there it was, and I said, man, <laughs> this will preach. Um, th- that hymn in itself, if you read that, that would be a sermon. Um, and I was just talking to Dale about this just a little while ago, and Dale was saying that he he wrote these hymns as uh, sermons, you know, in a sense. And it was really remarkable. So I trust that you'll, if you haven't seen that, I trust that you will. And I appreciate your uh, prayers for me and uh, thankful that I can be here with you folks this morning. Let's take a look at Psalm 27. I'll read it and then um, we'll look to the Lord for strength. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though wars arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will not hide me in his shelter, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above mine enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart said it to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of mine adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, as your word has come before us this morning in written form, we are grateful for the Holy Spirit who worked in David these words. And Lord, that same spirit is abiding in the temples that are here this morning. And we pray, O God, that it might uh, resonate with them, 
that they might see your truth, be pricked where they need to be pricked, be exhorted and where they need exor- exhortation, be encouraged where they need encouragement. And may you uh, make us all stronger for being in your word together as we assemble together for worship together. It is beautiful to see uh, the brethren dwelling together in unity. And we rejoice at your work to overcome this sin that dwells within us through the blood of the cross. We ask, O God, that you would just now help us to worship you in spirit and in truth as we behold your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this particular psalm, Calvin once remarked at the psalms in general that they are anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as, as in a mirror. And truly, as we uh, bring our hearts into the worship of God, we cannot help but uh, see the Psalms as the pattern for worship, as the source for worship. I remember reading a book by, I uh, um, can't remember his first name, Whitney, on praying through the Psalms, and it was revolutionary for me because it helped me to, um, because sometimes my own prayers, I felt dead in my prayers. I felt like they were, I was searching for things and repeating things and so forth. And um, as I looked at the encouragement to do this, he had placed um, a pattern uh, by looking at the calendar where you could take Psalm 1, Psalm 30, Psalm 60, all the way through and um, pick out those psalms for that first day of the month and the second day, Psalm 2, Psalm 32, you know, uh, measuring it by 30s. And it was revolutionary to me in my praying. And I'm very thankful for it, and I use it from time to time. And we will never master these psalms in our own lifetime. As one person says, we ought to so study them then that they may master us in becoming the pulse to which our own hearts beat, and to be soil in which our own souls take root. And as I read Psalms in my own life, I can't help but think of the Lord Jesus and his uh, prayers. I, I, I think that many of his prayers were Psalms. I don't know to which, I know there are some that are revealed that we see that are clearly revealed, but because he was the author and finisher of our faith and because he was the uh, author of David's Psalms, the Holy Spirit, then I'm sure that Jesus prayed them back to God too. <laughs> so they're safe to pray. <laughs> they really are. Uh, and, and oftentimes when I pray the Psalms, I don't pray them in the same context by which they were intended. Sometimes I make them mean something for me, um, which would be entirely different, but that's okay too. But there are many varieties of psalms, of which I will not digress at this point. Um, But this psalm is a psalm of optimism. It's a psalm of a confidence in God. And they're not all that way, as we can see as we scan the psalms. Some of them are very, very um, 
seemingly depressed or seemingly um, weak and just crying out for help and in desperation. And that's, that's good, too, because it shows us the variant fluxes of our own life where we're not always where we ought to be. And sometimes we see doubts and we see uh, cry, this crying out for help. But the thing that stands out in all the Psalms that is significant is the fact that no matter what state David or any of the writers of the Psalms are in, there is always this faith that brings forth this, this truth of faith in the midst of, of the darkness. Faith never is extinguished. It's always there. And that's the characteristic of the saint. Even though we've gone through the worst of the worst, we still hang on to that truth that God is still in charge. And so David here writes with confidence because he has sufficiently studied where his great strength lies. Where did he get this confidence from? I mean, was it some book that he read from the bookstore, you know? Uh, how to, you know, be a more confident person in your life? How to be more, um, you know, a leadership guy that he re- read somewhere? No, he got it from reading Moses. He got it from reading Moses. He, he was reading Moses and studying Moses. And he read of Abraham. And he saw where Abraham's faith was. And that ignited him. He read of Jacob and how Jacob's faith powered through even his stupidity and his weaknesses. He read of uh, Joseph and how Joseph trusted in the providence of God despite all of the uh, obstacles that were against him and started being mistreated and misused and put into prison. How he, he Joseph knew that God had a greater purpose and David read this stuff just like you do and it ignited him so that he became through reading and studying these accounts and the book of Job also how Job's faith just persevered it made him a man who said this is the God I want this is the God I love and he became known as a man after God's own heart because of what he read from scripture And that should be a lesson to you and I. We should make the scriptures the object of our passion so that we are driven to that word more than anything else. And so he's a man after God's own heart. And he's unswayed here in this psalm. He's unwavering. He knew before Paul knew that if God be for us, who can be against us? And... I, I was appreciative that Daniel sent that to our, our group this week, that verse, because I said, wow, that's right here. God before us, who can be against us? So we must always set before us those that are in Christ. There are those that are going to be against us. There are those that are going to war against us and to go uh, in an unrelenting war against us. And so we need to remember the words that
that we see here and in many other writings that David has written. So my outline this morning is, I better get my clock out here, because <laughs> uh, I tend to be a little bit on the long side, unfortunately. So hopefully I won't be, especially if I start seeing the snowflakes fall. And but you guys can't see what I can see out there. So, <laughs> But anyway, okay. So, But I have a three-fold view here that we'll look at, and you could look at it in a number of different things, but it's going to be a little top-heavy on the first because there's no way I could exposit this in, in a day or many days. But anyway, the courage, the first area that I want to look at is the courage in his con- conversation, verses 1 through 6. And then secondly, the concerns expressed in his petition in verses 7 through 12, and the confidence of the answer in verses 13 through 14. So firstly, then, we see this courage. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so we are most confident in God when we have mined out the depths of his past workings. When we see what he has done, we know that we can go forward. We know that we can move ahead. And when we discover the promises that he's kept, we find that he has never failed. And David would pour over the scriptures, as I mentioned, and he would see and behold the faith of Abraham and how Abraham overcame his hardships and that his eyes brightened when he saw how Abraham would offer up his only son in faith, obedient to God. He could be invigorated when all hope seemed lost. David could look at Jacob and learn how to wrestle with God in prayer. Even in the midst of his fears, he knew that God was with him. He could look at Joseph and behold his imprisonment, that it was for a greater good. So God honored his word. He saw Israel, in spite of their flagrant insults to God, in spite of their continued stumblings and their wanderings in the wilderness, how God continually watched over them as a shepherd uh, for over his flock. That amazed him. That struck him so that he knew that Israel's God was his God. He knew it, even as a youth. So we see first he says that God is my light. He is my light and my salvation. What optimism here. God is my light. He's the source of all that I have. He's a light in a dark world that I live in. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He knew that God was light to him, that in him is light, and there is no darkness at all, as John would say later. 
And we also know that at a point in future time, that when this world has been dissolved, that God will be our only source of light. There will be no sun, no moon, nor planets, nothing. It will be just God. Have you ever thought about that? That's really kind of crazy, really, when you think about it, because we're so used to the light that we see. And you think, oh, what about our heat? <laughs> what about? No. God will be the source of everything. He'll be our light. David also saw something really important as well, that God is my salvation. He's my salvation. He is the source of it. He's the strength of it. And that he has saved me, he has forgiven me, and I stand in him because he is my salvation. Jehovah is the word we could use here, uh, translated from Yahweh, as we see the capital words. And it speaks about who this God is. He is a saving God. He saves and he keeps But he is not always in this state, as I mentioned. Some Psalms, how long will you forget me, (laughs) Lord? Forever? Have you ever kind of lost a sense of God's presence in your life? Have you ever felt like God's not hearing me? David wrote about that. But faith persists and raises its head in every Psalm. You see it quite clearly. So we may be strengthened and confident one moment and shaky the next. David reveals here an important truth. We need to be rehearsing the gospel. We need to be rehearsing the truths of Christ's death on the cross and what it means to us. Remind ourselves of those central truths when we are in darkness or doubt or despair. Secondly, whom shall I fear? Since God is my light and my wisdom, my salvation, and he helps me to see, what is there that will dissuade me? What? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear is a great hindrance to the Christian. It's a great hindrance. We must keep in mind that we're in two worlds. The Christian is a citizen in the heavenlies, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. We need to discern the world's views And note them, we are citizens of the world and we are citizens of heaven. Fear, in our present time, is even looked at as noble. It's a stronger, or it's a higher good to envelop a mindset of safism as it has been coined to put one's trust in someone else rather than God. We see that in the world that we are in. And it leads me to say this, and it's because fear is so common, 
And I think about this, that we're tempted to look at uh, our fellow believers, and we all have fears. We're tempted to say, hey, it's okay. We all have fears. <laughs> so don't, don't worry about your fears. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, and we do this with lo- lots of things. Oh, I'm such a worry ward. <laughs> you say, oh, that's okay. So am I. I we all worry. And, and so we tend to not exhort one another daily while it is called today. We tend to be more, because we're so concerned that we have enough empathy. And we need to have empathy, believe me. There, there needs to be that. You know, you don't, you don't want to jump all over people when they have their fears or when they have their worries. But at the same time, you want to gently come alongside each other and say, hey, look, um, it's, it's not right to fear. It's not right. Because, and it's not normal for us to fear. I know, I know you think it's normal, but really, for the Christian, it's not normal. <laughs> this morning, I was uh, calmly, uh, had my routine, you know, I went with this routine. I go out and make my coffee, you know, and I go out and, and, and I have my Bible time and my meditation and prayer time and I sit and comfortable. Everything's just, that's the best time of the day. <laughs> Quiet and uh, everything's great. And I was just sitting there and all of a sudden a flicker of the power. And I went, my sermon, it's still on the computer. I go, no. Then it flickered again. Well, you don't know the computer I have. It's a 2011 Mac iMac. And it takes 15 minutes to fire up. My sermon's on there. And I'm very, I'm the type of person that, you know, I've always battled with this. Should I just come without notes or should I come with basic notes or should I come with my manuscript? You know, I'm very, I, I'm a, I'm, I have my manuscript here because it's my comfort zone. <laughs> it's comfortable. Without it, Susie says, you know, a couple of times I forgot my sermon when I went to church. She said, oh, you do much better without notes. <laughs> and I go, well, maybe, but I don't know. I can't get over. So anyway, I was in a panic. I was fearful that I wouldn't be able to get my sermon off of there. And the power came back on. So I went over to the computer, and I turned it on. I go, come on, come on, let's go, you know, and it's just taking forever. And I'm looking outside, Lord, please don't let the power go out. And then uh, I finally, finally got it printed off. I went, and then I looked at myself. Wow, fear, fear, fear of coming up here without my sermon notes, you know, um, and, and I have a fear also of men. I fear man. That's my biggest fear. I don't always speak what I should speak because of it, I fear man. And God's continually dealing with my fears, believe me, so I know. You're not alone. So the fears of the saints are something that we experience, but they should not be looked at as normal and we should also look at the fact that they affect the saints. Your fears affect other people and those around you. So we have genuine fears, and each one of you has genuine fears that you're working on or that you're aware of. 
But we should be deeply committed to this central truth that David was committed to, and it was only after he had poured his heart through the word and as he examined God, he knew this one central thing. You know what it is? God is sovereign. Right? God is sovereign. He comforted himself in that great doctrine of the sovereignty of God And so, therefore, he could say, my heart shall not fear. My heart shall not fear. And even though everything was going against him, he knew that God was sovereign, that God controlled everything. I remember when I was in seminary, I had this professor. Um, He was an old guy. And he he was just massive in, in structure. And we were in class one time. He said, Ellis, do you know that God controls every snowflake and where it falls? And I went, yeah, yeah, I do. He says, he says do you know where every raindrop falls? He knows where every raindrop falls. He knows where every molecule is. He knows where every atom is. He went on and on about the sovereignty of God and the infinitesimal details that God was concerned about and I would just like yeah wow because I, I was not really that familiar with it but boy I tell you that's been my strength when things are going crazy it's the sovereignty of God it really is and so when Jesus was with his disciples he said these words to them which we, you've read them over and over, but let me read them here. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's fear. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's powerful. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Each one of you, myself, God knows the exact minute you'll be departing from this world. And you won't go a minute earlier. Isn't that great? Not a minute later. It's the exact time. And he's got, you have an appointment. That's comforting to me. I can't do anything to change that appointment. That's comforting to me. So there are two basic elements of fear then. There's natural fear and there's sinful fear. Natural fear is in itself benign. It's a response to the unknown in a fallen world. You're walking your dog, and a ferocious Doberman comes running out, (laughs) you know, and starts barking at you. You know, fear. That's natural. You know, or you hear on the radio, there's going to be a blinding snowstorm. (laughs) Oh, man, fear. Or or a tornado. And, but those kind, that kind of fear is good. If you hear somebody at night breaking into your place, fear, it it does something to prepare you, to help you, to do what you need to do. It's, it's 
kind of like something that God gave us in this fallen world to help us. So that's a natural fear that we all have. And there should be an element where we, we embrace that. But there's also this element of sinful fear. What is that, essentially? Well, we see it all in the Bible, don't we? We see sinful, God has revealed to us sinful fear from Genesis chapter 3 all the way on. Sinful fear is when we are afraid of those things that God has told us not to be afraid of. I just got through reading a really great book that I would encourage you to read. It's called Triumphing Over Sinful Fear by John Flavel, one of the Puritans. Unbelievably well done. And it's not that long. And actually, by Puritan standards, it's an easier book to read. It's not hard to read. But Flavel writes here, Sinful fear arises from unbelief, an unworthy distrust of God. This occurs when we refuse to trust in God's protection. And he gives us numerous accounts of this in the Bible. And you and I see it all the time. What happened to Abraham after God had told him and called him out of Chaldea? He, he went into Egypt and he lied about Sarah not being his wife. Why did he lie? Because he was afraid. Not only did he lie once, he lied again with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, years later. David, when he was being threatened by the Philistines, he pretended like he was being insane (laughs) because he was fearful of what the Philistines would do to him. He was fearful of what Saul would do to him, even after God said, the kingdom is going to be yours, David. So sometimes, even though we know what God says, we still fear anyway. (laughs) Well, I know God's told me not to be afraid, but I'm afraid. And so, therefore, we recognize this particular principle that Flavel has brought out, and it's, and it's really the root cause of fear. The root cause of fear is unbelief. <clears throat> we think that something out there is more powerful than God. You simply don't fail to do what you, you, you simply don't do what you know God in his word has told you to do. <laughs> but if fear grips you and paralyzes you so that you will not obey him, you really realize at that point that it is sinful fear. And so here is your chance to counsel yourself, so to speak, and bring yourself back to what does God say. What does the Lord say about this? Jesus asked his disciples when they were on the boat, he says, why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? (laughs) So true. Second thing here we see in this first point, and as I say, it is (laughs) top-heavy, but we see that courage sees the invisible. And I want us to look at a, an account here of Elijah in Second Kings chapter 6. 
where he says here, in the mind of the king of Assyria, of Syria, verse 11, 2 Kings 6, verse 11, was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who is for, who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. <clears throat> when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? <clears throat> now he was scared to death. He was filled with fear. But Elijah wasn't. Elisha was not filled with fear. And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses, chariots of fire all around Elisha. So, Courage sees the invisible. <clears throat> Courage sees the invisible. Uh, Spurgeon once wrote, half of our fears arise from neglect of the Bible. And as I, th as I think about that statement, that is so true. Because how often are we pouring ourselves in the scripture as opposed to social media, as opposed to reading this blog, that blog, that blog, and whatever, as opposed to uh, screen time somewhere else. I think if we were honest with ourselves, our scripture reading has become less and less and less and less. In fact, in some circles, people only read their Bible when they come to church. <clears throat> Or, or they read it very sporadically. So we could say that we have a major problem in our church, and I think this is what leads from one deviant doctrine to another that we're seeing today, is script as biblical illiteracy. Christians are not reading their Bible, so they're buying into one false uh, idea after another one. So David said, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it's not saying that David was never afraid. We've already seen that he was afraid in several instances. But as David reflects on who God is, he finds, and the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, he finds that it serves as a cure for him. A cure. He says, the Lord is my stronghold. Stronghold. Whoops. Proverbs. <laughs> Get back here to sound. The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I like the King James Version there 
where he uses the word fortress, because I can relate to that. He is a fortress, from which Luther wrote, a mighty fortress is our God. And David could see that this was true. Therefore, he could say these things. Though a army arise against me, verse 3, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise me, yet I will be confident. Now, you can translate that into whatever you're dealing with now, whatever you're dealing with today. Look at this. When David's thinking about an army, he's thinking about the Syrians or the Ammonites or whatever. And, and actually, this psalm was written as a result of the past, something that happened in the past. So he's reflecting now on some event. It doesn't give a description like some of them do at the beginning, but it is believed that this is all in reflection of what happened. When evildoers assail me, he says, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, verse 2, is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And David had many enemies. He had many enemies without, like the Syrians and the Ammonites and so forth, but he had lots of them within, too. Uh, Jonadab and and uh, Ahithophel and Joab and those that were always seeking to rise up against him and even his own kids, even his own children. So he encouraged himself in God. And isn't this what we find as the Lord works in the hearts of his people, even in the New Testament? Paul was turned around from his self-righteousness, and his fellow Pharisees turned against him. They hated him. The religious leaders sought to kill him. And even with those within the church, what we find in the book of 2 Corinthians, these false apostles hated him and tried to uh, overthrow him. And I don't know if you're going to find anything more confident than what he wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, but as David read of Moses, Paul read of David and Moses, and he wrote these words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul was thinking about all these things that he had just expressed to the Ephesian church, and we have been so blessed to be in that book, but what were those things? Forgiveness of sin, adoption, justification, sanctification, predestination, election. All those things, Paul said, how shall I not do protect us. He's given us all these things. Who shall bring anything against the charge of God's elect? No one. Therefore, Paul is saying here, I'm not afraid of anything. 
Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's powerful. Paul was not afraid. He was not afraid. Therefore he could write to Timothy, he said, I am ready to be offered. I have finished my course, and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Can you say that? Can you say that? Why are you afraid? Is there something you will lose? Is there something you will lose? Is there something that you will be deficient in? No, God will give you the strength. Jim Elliott, we just celebrated his birthday recently. There was a lot about him, but you know the quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see also, (coughs) fourthly, David, in this area here in verses 4 through 6, his confidence affected his desire. Spurgeon believed that this might have been in relation to David being shut out of the house of the Lord when he was being chased by Saul. And this could very well be. But he had a yearning to worship God with his people and that there would be not a long departure. Notice what he said. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David was yearning as a result of what God had put in him to worship. And isn't that what praise is? Praise is not just shouting out praise the Lord. Praise is working out what God put in. God puts in, and it's worked out. You cannot help but praise the Lord when God works something in. You cannot help but uh, give thanks when God uh, reveals to you all that he has done. And so he had this yearning, this desire to be in God's house, to worship. Jesus preached, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of of the things that the Lord said on his Sermon on the Mount that is so powerful. But is your desire always in this realm? I remember one time I was reading uh, Psalm 63, verse 1. It was quite a ways back. 
But David said, O God, you are my God. Earnestly do I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh pants for you as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And I marked in my Bible, do I? Do I? Because at that point, I felt pretty dry. I felt like, man, I don't, I don't have this. Where did David get that? From the Word. <laughs> from, from being in the Word. But he also, as uh, Gerhardus Voss once observed, the beginning of hungering and thirsting after righteousness lies in the birth of the conviction of sin. If there was anybody that was convicted of his sin, we see it revealed in David's writings how sin had ultimately bothered him to the point where he thirsted after God's righteousness and his forgiveness. And so we need to really behold Christ here. Can we say with Paul that I know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings? As Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing, which we've already listed some of those. So if you contemplate those things, it's no wonder that you are able to give praise to God, and it is really unsolicited. It comes as a result. Jesus said, Uh, If these children did not praise me, the stones would cry out. (laughs) You cry out to God. David longed for God. He says it again in Psalm 23, that he longed to be in the courts of the Lord. He longed to be with God. God is an awesome God. And you contemplate these things by learning of him. And then he says here, and we see a good glimpse of Christ here, at least for us now, um, for he, verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Who hides us? Jesus does. We're hidden in him. We're hidden in him. We are in Christ. And he will hide us in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. uh, Speaking of the tabernacle here. And the mercy seat. But we notice here he will lift me high upon a rock. And as we look at the Old Testament scriptures, we find, as Paul said in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that Jesus is that rock. He is the rock. And you see it many times in the Old Testament, that rock is a, a foreshadowing of Christ. So we worship him. And he says here, hear when I cry aloud, verse 7. Hear when I cry aloud. As Spurgeon once wrote, when grief presses you to the ground, worship there. Worship there. So we see here, he will hide us. 
And we see in verses 7 through 12 the concern that he has heard. Notice. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and, and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And so he speaks here about this petition that he has heard. When I cry aloud. I remember reading one time of Martin Luther, and he was enclosed in his uh, exile in Wittenberg. And he had much time alone in prayer, much time to write. And he was praying to God, and he heard a voice that said, God will not hear your feeble prayers. He knew it was Satan. And so he yelled at Satan. He said, then I will cry the louder. (laughs) Then I will cry the louder. Hear me, O God, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And so David is responding in faith. And he's concerned, secondly, in this concern to ask for right things. Notice here, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. God wants you and I to seek him. He wants us to thirst for him. He wants us to look for him in his word, to study and to uh, uh, seek his face in prayer. And so, The Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, said Isaiah. James tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There is an exercise where you and I need to be active in our praying. We need to be active. And so as David continues to to plead for God's presence, he reminds himself of the fact that Even when close relatives forsake him, God will not. For when my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. We also see in part of this petition that he utters to God, he says, Lord, teach me your way. Teach me your way. When we come to God in the morning or in the evening or whenever we come to God, We need to ask him, Lord, I want to know your way. I want to know your will. Solomon could have had whatever he wanted, David's son. And as he came to God, God said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. What do you want? Here was his golden opportunity to pull an Aladdin, you know, genie, you know, boom. No. He said, I want wisdom. I need wisdom to rule this people. God said, grant it. Not only that, but I'm going to give you everything else too. It's amazing. Teach me your way, O Lord. Whenever you're in a difficult situation, ask God to teach you. 
Teach me your way. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Then we finally see, and we come to this last part. As I say, it's, I'm consolidating it more and more here. But the confidence of the answer, and we find that in verses 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we see, first of all, what he has to look forward to. He has an unwavering hope. An unwavering hope. And this is the other thing that happens as you invest yourself in the word. Hope increases. I can say to you truthfully that in these last two years, I have never had more hope than I ever had. Never have I had more hope than I do now. And that's kind of strange because look at the topsy-turvy world that we're living in. It's really insane. It's gone insane. But because of God and his grace and his word, my hope has really increased. And I'm very hopeful of the promises of God being fulfilled. And my hope is indeed built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So we see what he has to look forward to. But we see what he exhorts in light of what he has learned. To wait for the Lord. Because of this hope, David encourages his readers to wait. And we are in need of patience in these days. We're in need of patience in the conflict and in the trial because we know what's coming. There are times that might be trying. Waiting can be a very disheartening thing to do. And, there, and, and there's many things that you could be waiting on or waiting for. But because of the hope, we can wait. We can wait. So we need to be strong. We need to be of good courage. We need to remind ourselves of the promises of God in these times. These times of waiting. To remember that God's time is not our time. It's different. So then, so a few application points that we can make. Number one, the best cure of sinful fear is to curate a healthy fear of God in your heart. And that's not going to happen by putting your head on your pillow <laughs> or by osmosis of any kind. It's not even going to come by you completing your Bible reading plan. <laughs> I hate to say. It's going to come as a result of deep meditation and willingness to search out the things of God and to do what is commanded in the word. Jesus said, Fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We need to fear God. We need to fear him. Secondly, 
contemplate the covenant of grace. There is no better target to aim at than the gospel itself. When we consider God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they agreed to end the curse. Jesus said, I will go to earth and I will provide the redemption that is needed to bring man back. I will bring life to these dead sinners who we never, God didn't come to earth because of any response from us. He didn't come because we asked him to. In fact, he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came out of the own purpose of his will to the glory of his grace because he loved us with an everlasting love. It's an amazing story and we need to contemplate the account of the gospel. Paul was so amazed at the love of Christ that he completely disregarded his own life and the cost of obedience. An assured Christian is a, secure, is a Christian who is not afraid in the suffering. Three, study those who have gone on before. There is a great cloud of witnesses that have faced the foe with an unquenchable faith. Take a hold of the foxes. I don't know if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's pretty amazing when you read that book. But these are people that went to their death not fearing what was around them, not fearing what would happen. And finally, while David learned that he had all the protection he needed under God's mercy seat, we have a more sure mercy seat, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will not only protect us by the blood of the everlasting covenant, but remember this, he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He hears your prayer. And your prayer is going to be carried to heaven by the Holy Spirit and heard. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. And that should encourage us as we look forward to 2022. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the revealed word. We know that there is much here, much that was never even examined. And I pray that you'll help us, O oh God, to uh, remember the, the truths that David has preached and how he got them, how he uh, became filled with courage, how he became uh, trusting in you, and that was by studying you. Help us, O oh God, not to have an evil heart of unbelief in these last days. But Lord, increase our faith, our feeble faith, our wavering faith. But we're thankful that we do have faith. And it may be little faith, as Bunyan wrote. But Lord, bring it to fruition. Help us, O oh God, to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. 
For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.